Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Dr. Brent Satterfield trained in biomedical engineering and invented DNA testing technologies that have impacted millions of people in more than 50 countries, including in the COVID-19 pandemic. Following multiple experiences with heaven, he became a student of consciousness, faith, and experiences of God in cultures around the world. He has achieved mastery level in matrix energetics, theta healing, Reiki, and other healing modalities. Brent is also a two-time author and a co-founder of the Inner World Movement. He is excited to begin developing online courses and gathering a community of like-minded individuals. Take a listen to this conversation with Brent, where he shares a story of visiting heaven and being awakened to the oneness of humanity. Hi, Brent. How are you? I'm doing great, Tanya. It's so wonderful to have you here on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So we're going to be discussing your brand new book called Bringing Heaven Home. Now, this is a unique story that's essentially about understanding consciousness following one path, but then discovering from your own direct experience the many paths to God, or what we can also call source, and has other various names. This is so intriguing to me, Brent. I'd love to hear how this all started. (laughs) That's a big question. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I, I don't know. I mean, for anybody who's had these types of experiences, especially spontaneous experiences, it's hard to define exactly where it starts because sometimes the experiences come without us even really looking for them. In my case, <clears throat> I mean, way back in high school, I was uh, I was suicidal. Um, had a lot of difficulties going on, and so at a at a certain point, when I was about eighteen, I had my first experience with the divine, and just felt uh, an amazing feeling that just it convinced me that there was more into the world than what I had grown up learning, and so it moved me into a state where I spent much of the rest of my life seeking very diligently, um, trying to understand uh, spiritual truth. I ended up associating with a um, conservative Christian mindset for for quite some time. And in that mindset, I I eventually met this woman who'd had a series of near-death experiences, the first one in a plane crash. And she told me one day that she felt that I was supposed to have a, a similar experience. And except that rather than dying, she said that one of the gifts that she'd come back with was the, the gift to help somebody have the near-death experience without dying, to help them cross over, to help them have that experience. And so uh, that that really opened some things for me because um there's just such a contrast between the way that religions of the world describe love and then the actual experience of love. Uh, in fact, you could almost say they're, they're contradictory, they're opposite, because even using all the right vocabulary where 
where religions are, are talking about this, this divine love, our personal reference for it, it comes from our parents, it comes from our friends, it comes from society, it comes from a background where we have been loved conditionally. We, we are approved or disapproved based on our behavior, based on the things we think, the things we say, the things we do. And yet the experience on the other side is this absolute freeing from any sense of being constrained to what we think or say or do or, or feel. Uh, it's just seeing the beauty and the experience that we've had being liberated from all of those negative emotions and attachments and then feeling an absolute unconditional love. And so that for me really was the beginning because it, it led me to say everything I've thought in my life up to this point in time is upside down. And, and it wasn't that I was taught incorrectly because I was taught that it was love. It's just that our definition, our understanding of that word is just off. And, and how could it be otherwise? Because we've been limited to the experience we've had here in this world. That's an experience that a lot of people have had as far as noticing the contrast with the message versus the feeling. Does that make sense? It does. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly the kind of experience that that I had. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the woman that you met, you said that she can induce a near-death experience without having to die. That's something I've never heard of. So um, one of the things that I've discovered as I've met an increasing number of people who've had near-death experiences is that one, very few of them are willing to talk about their experience. They don't share it unless they feel safe. And two, even when they do share it, they usually leave out a lot of details. And one of the details that is most frequently left out is the fact that many of them come back with different gifts and skill sets, like the ability to read thoughts or to, to feel what other people are feeling, or to know things that are coming or to cross back over to the other side or just any variety of, of different um, skill sets that we don't ordinarily think about in this world. And hers was, among other things, an ability to help people have that, that transition, that crossover. And that is to help a person connect with the divine um, enlighten, if you will, is that, is that the yes. aim? Yes. And, and it wasn't something she did very often. I, you know, when I was, I was talking with her husband for a little while and he said it was something she did very rarely because it, it wasn't, it just wasn't something that, that, that everyone needed. <laughs> um, but that this was an experience that I needed for my personal evolution, that there were things I needed to see it, I mean, if you go in and, and study any amount of near-death experiences, uh, what you find very quickly is that there seems to be no rhyme or reason for why people have them. And I think at one point in time in my life, coming from a very religious perspective, I thought that it was people who were living their lives correctly that got to see God, that they had somehow passed the test and then they got to see God and that was their sign of having passed the test. But the, the statistical data on this shows that people who are have no rhyme or reason in their life are just as likely to have a, an experience with the divine as people who are fully trying to live their truth. And 
so the one thing that that seems to be common to all of these people though is that their experience it somehow frees them it, it somehow teaches them something that they could not have understood otherwise it shifts their life pattern wakes them up moves them out of that pattern into a new space and you know the reason for that is never quite clear but the transition is and so for me this was a massive transition because it it completely undid the foundation of everything that i have thought about life up to that point in time i mean we don't often in common society stop and look at our thoughts and how they're constructed and how our thoughts then go into creating our behavior but there are some very fundamental assumptions that we make when we're children that end up creating the entire web of thoughts we have as adults and the entire um, value system we have that tells us <clears throat> what we want to do with our lives, how we want to interact with others. And so, so an experience like this then brings you face to face with some of those foundational assumptions. And for me, it was just this realization of there is no judgment. And that was such a contrast. It was because the, the feeling that I had on the other side was one of such absolute love and acceptance that to, to even contemplate the idea of fear or judgment, it just, it was like, it can't exist. It, it, it is incompatible with the state because if there were any possibility for judgment, the way that conservative religion might think there would be, then there would be fear. But there is no fear like this perfect love casts out all fear and there was this understanding that the judgment that we're that, that in a christian setting we'd be saved from is not god's judgment it's our judgment it's it's the judgment of this world it's the um the shame that the belief systems that we live under from one day to the next that keep us from experiencing a divine love not only in the hereafter but in the here and now and so this very quickly shifted for me from not only just seeing that I built my whole life on this idea that, that I needed to have acceptance, whether it was from my own dad or from the world around me or from God, to, to seeing that this idea, this need for acceptance, this need to be loved was in fact preventing me from being able to feel that love in the present moment. It was just an understanding that the that not only is heaven free from any of that kind of judgment, but that we can feel that in the here and now in this world. That's a really uh, powerful statement and understanding that you've come to from your experience. Now, with your experience, you, you said you started from a Christian background and having more or less a very uh, linear understanding of how things should be in the world and how the world works and et cetera. So then what was that shift from that thinking to a more broader perspective? It didn't happen in the first experience. I had a series of experiences mm -hmm. and the first one was facilitated. The, the second one was spontaneous where I just, I felt this rush of energy throughout my being. And it was actually kind of fun for a little while until it moved into my heart and it felt like I was having a heart attack. And that was the point where I shifted. I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> you know, maybe going numb all over and, and <laughs> maybe this isn't a good thing. Um, but uh, so I had a series of experiences. And the first one, I, I mean, the first couple, I interacted with Jesus in a way that almost made me think, OK, my Christian beliefs, they're 
I am right. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this is the way. And even though there were contradictions, they weren't huge. I mean, there were contradictions with the culture itself. Um, like I was saying with, with the definition of love, just understanding that, yes, they're talking about love, but the love they're talking about is the wrong kind of love. It's not the actual love that's, that you feel there. And that messes up the whole way of thinking. But as time went on, um, my experiences were expanded to where I started to, I started to feel into other heavens. It was like I was introduced to this idea that there's not just one heaven. And this is a hard thing because, you know, when, if you read people's near death experiences, when they have one, they come back having seen God and, and, or, or experienced God or the divine or, or whatever it was they experienced. And in that space, there is this feeling that they're expressing of I've seen it all. And if my experience is different from this other person that saw things, it's only because I went deeper or I had a, a more intelligent conversation or but there's always some rationalization to say the way I saw it was right. And the way that the other people saw it maybe was a little not as pure, not as understood as well. And But for me, having multiple experiences, I couldn't do that. I couldn't say, well, that guy is, <laughs> he's deceived. <laughs> that guy's wrong. Uh, because it was me having all these experiences. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing that the experience of the divine and the experience of everything um, isn't everything, (laughs) that you can experience everything in multiple directions. Almost like um, heaven is a lot like the earth where you can you can move all over the earth and have different experiences. You're going to have a very different experience of the ecosystem in Africa than you are in the Americas. And your choice to live in the Africa versus the Americas, it's not a moral choice. It's just like, what kind of ecosystem do you want to live in? What kind of people do you want to associate with? What kind of experience do you want to have? And in that heavenly state, it just seemed like there were all of these different directions that we can expand into. Each direction that that has the potential for infinite expansion, it's just a question of what flavor do you want to experience? Because it, it was more than the idea that there is there are many paths leading to one heaven or to one god it's like yes there are many paths leading to one god but each one of those paths leads to a very unique experience of that god and but um i think it was in it was in india uh this is in the fourth experience i recorded in my book that there was a huge shifting of the way that i was seeing things and feeling things because at that point I had an experience of the Hindu heavens and the feeling was so different from what I had experienced with Jesus, not in a bad way. Like it was, it was not bad at all. I mean, it's like saying, okay, well, you know, I had vanilla ice cream and then I had chocolate ice cream. And this experience is so fundamentally different yet beautiful and joyful. And, and, and for me, coming from an idea of there's one heaven, and maybe there's many different ways to that one heaven, but then getting there and saying, wait, no, <laughs> that's not what it is. There are There is this other flavor, and it is just as beautiful as what I had with Jesus. And in my mind, almost asking myself, is that wrong? <laughs> Am I being unfaithful somehow? And before I could really even dive into those thoughts, the... I heard a voice that said, I am the light that is in all things and through all things. And that means the light that is in all religions and through all heavens. And there was an understanding 
that there is one God who is experienced in many different ways. And those different ways of being experienced, it, it leads to different feelings, different experience, different understandings. Not, um, not that there's one over another in a moralistic way, but that based off of the joy of our heart, we may prefer one flavor over another, but that we didn't have to limit ourselves to just one. There was an understanding that the, the heavens have the potential to integrate themselves, that God's light being in them all gives us the potential to experience as many of them as bring us joy. And so it's like going into an ice cream store when you're little and being told you can have one scoop. And then as an adult realizing, I don't have to limit myself to one scoop anymore. If I want to go in and have three or four or, or 10 or 20 or, you know, eat until I'm, I'm sick, you know, I can do that. And <laughs> so in that, that heavenly experience that we have the capacity to integrate these different flavors of heaven and that, that more than just joy there, that there is an actual importance in us being able to get to the point here in this world where we can see past each other's limitations or perceived limitations and start listening to those from other cultures, other ways of experiencing with a sincere heart, not listening to validate our own point of view, but listening to understand what we have not yet seen, what we've not yet understood. So that capacity to integrate the, the flavors of heaven, if you would, it's important, not just in heaven, in a space where you have this infinite freedom to experience everything, but even as far as we understand things in this world, the capacity to come face to face, to truly listen to each other, to, to listen to another person, not just to validate our own point of view, but to hear them as they really are. Uh, this is, it's an important thing for our individual evolution. And it's also an important thing for our global evolution. And that was one of the things that I, I saw during my second experience was that there is a, a specific path that this earth undergoes to, to transition into a higher state. And by specific path, I don't mean that there are certain things set in stone that they have to happen physically. But I mean, it's, it's like the same thing as saying that there is one path to heaven. And, and yet we understand that there are many different cultures that are approaching and having experiences with the divine. So how can there be one path to heaven? Well, that one path has to do with us letting go of what we think we know in order to receive something more, in order to open to possibilities that we've not heard or seen yet. And my understanding was such that there have been truths or perspectives that have been placed in each culture and that the path to unraveling the knot of consciousness that prevents us from experiencing the divine in the flesh requires an integration of all of these different paths. It requires us to get past our smallness of mind and to start working together, to start seeing that other people and their beliefs aren't just a misrepresented understanding of our own beliefs, but actually have something unique to offer, a unique contribution. That's really great. It really shows that we are one and that oneness is what's going to save us. Yes. Really that unity consciousness, what have you, there's all sorts of terms, but it's, it's ultimately that 
we are all connected. And that's what your experience in a direct manner showed you. Yeah. You don't get white light by integrating two colors of yellow. You've got to integrate all the different colors of light to get back into a white light. That's beautiful. I love that analogy. Something from your book, if I can just quote, you stated that enlightenment and related experiences are not about escaping this world through bliss, but about accepting this space and all its pain and messiness. It's about being truly present in the journey. It is the choice to make this life home, to make this life heaven on earth. Heaven is found through acceptance of what is, not through painfully or fearfully trying to force change on the divine wisdom we have yet to recognize. Very powerful. Thank you. <laughs> and then actually, you were talking about you had a car analogy. I don't quite recall all the details, but you did an analogy for, again, another quote is, our greatest growth is in the reintegration of truths that were never meant to be separated to begin with. Right. Um, very much like the light analogy we just used. The mm -hmm. car analogy has that same concept where, and again, instead of looking at other religions and other paths that are outside of our own and saying, those are just a distorted view of what I'm doing. It's to say, what if they're not distorted at all? What if they actually have something unique to contribute, kind of like the pieces of a car? And, and for me, as I've experienced some of the, the spiritual power behind some of these different uh, religious and spiritual paths, I've seen that they, they each have a different function in my life. And, um, you know, Hinduism, for example, the, the state of causeless bliss that individuals sometimes enter into in meditation, that state is beautiful. Uh, and it felt to me a lot like the gas pedal in the car, because when you are feeling that level of divine joy, um, it makes it so much easier to do pretty much anything in this life. And, and you can use that divine joy to help further your creations, to help for, further the way that you're showing up in this life, to help dissolve karma. It's just so many different things you can use it for. It's like that gas pedal providing energy to the, the path. The new age concepts of manifestation felt a lot like the steering wheel of, of being able to direct the vehicle where you want to go. Um, the, the Christian idea of an external God, uh, it was a lot like the, the feeling of having a GPS, just something that guides you and tells you where to take the vehicle. Just because we have this, this vehicle doesn't mean that we know the most beautiful places to explore, to go. So to, to open to the idea that, um, there is intelligence outside of our own that is more loving, more understanding to allow that intelligence to then influence our manifestations, to influence what we're creating in our lives. It allows us to create beyond the limitations of our present ego, of our present understanding of this world, and to start bringing in something of, of greater value, of greater joy. So you traveled from the US to India, and that's where you learned about the Hindu tradition and have come to this conclusion that it's all more, more similar than different. Mm -hmm. So what, what specifically brought you to India? I had 
I'd had several of these experiences by that point. So the first three experiences I talk about in my book, um, I'd had each of those. And there was this recognition that the way that I had conceived life, I don't want to call it wrong because we, we tend to associate um, negative feelings with being wrong, but just it, that there was more to it. <laughs> there was more to be seen. There was more to be understood. And so it felt like I was closing a chapter on how I'd lived my life. If you could just take the first 40 years of my life and say, okay, um, I just, I want to acknowledge those. I want to honor those for what they were and, and leading me to the space and understanding. And now I want to open the door to the next chapter of my life. And so I opened and I, I was manifesting, just going back into this idea of manifestation. Um, I, I actually wasn't taught manifestation by a lot of the popular thought leaders out there today. I was taught manifestation during my my second experience with the heavens. I mean, I'm still coming out of this Christian perspective of you pray and you do you do things a certain way, and yet what I experienced in that second experience was that that um, God was showing me this light that was in everything, and He was showing me how it was in my heart and how it was in His heart, and He showed me that when I took certain ideas and put them into my heart, they would go out into this light. And the light was responsive. It was intelligent. It was loving. And it would bring back to me exactly what I sent out, how I sent it out. And so he was teaching me this principle of manifestation. I didn't recognize it as such until I ran into uh, some of the teachers out there like, like Joe Dispenza. Um, but it was this understanding of, oh, wow, this is, this is how heaven is so beautiful, is that as long as there is this belief that there is more, as long as you're putting it into your heart that there's more, that it continues to expand, it continues to evolve. And so God was effectively answering the question of my heart, which is how can you be in heaven for an eternity and not get bored? <laughs> and he was showing me that it just, it keeps growing. It keeps um, evolving. And the, so anyway, um, as I, when I came back to my body after that particular experience, I was led over a number of years to start practicing that here on earth. And I found that as I would put things in my heart, they would come back to me. And so in this particular occasion, I'm, I was really formalizing the close of the first chapter of my life and saying, I'm ready for the next chapter. And so I did what I had been shown to do, which is I, I saw in my mind's eye receiving a new teacher. And I didn't know what that new teacher was going to be. I'm, I'm still thinking kind of Christian tradition and, and whatnot. Um, but I'm putting it in my heart and saying, here's this new teacher. And I could feel the feelings because that's what I was shown was the most important thing about uh, the manifestation was that you need to be able to feel what it is that you are wanting to attract in. And so I could just feel in my heart and my mind's eye, I could see it, what it would be like to have this teacher show up out of nowhere and this surprise of like, wow, this is great. And now I'm learning and I'm feeling this expansion and this is beautiful. And my, my evolution's continuing and I continue to learn more about the heavens and more about God. And, and so I just opened and just felt that and then let it go. And then about a week later, I was watching some YouTube videos and saw one of these little links on the side that was talking about this Hindu girl that could read blindfolded. And normally I don't click on those things. I'm just not that interested in, <laughs> in, in just the various material that's on YouTube. But I had this feeling like click on that. And so I did. And I, I started watching. And as she was talking, you know, one of the things I feel like I've come back with from the other side is an ability to feel. And I, I think there's a lot of people in this world that, that didn't even have to, to 
have an experience on the other side to have this. It's just empathy, right? This capacity to feel into what somebody's saying, to feel into their state of being, to feel their emotion. It's just that I had become newly aware of it. I was expanding into it. And so I'm feeling in her space and going, wow, she's telling the truth. You know, she's, she's really having this experience and this is really neat. And while I was watching this, um, I heard a voice say to me, find out who taught her to do that and go there. And so I start doing some research and found this ashram in Bidhidi, India, where she had learned this particular skill. And as, as of that moment, they were having a retreat for visitors wanting to learn those same skills that was just a month out. And so I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I looked at the cost to attend the retreat and then saw that we had just received a check for that exact amount to go to the retreat, to cover the airfare. And I just looked at it and thought, wow, this has been divinely orchestrated. So that's how I ended up heading to India. And, you know, we hear these stories often of synchronicity, <laughs> where these are the signs that uh, show us that what's meant to be, what's the path we're supposed to follow. I think that's a great story. Yeah. So it ended up being a beautiful journey for me. So that was India. Now, did you go to any other ashrams or any other places with slightly different traditions? You know, the experiences were not limited to the locations I went to. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but in terms of, of other places that I went to that I talked about in the book, I discussed um, having experiences with different energy healing modalities. So mm -hmm. going and studying healing with some of the New Age um, thought processes. And then I spent like the, the last experience in the book was with Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I found that one fascinating because I had never heard anybody put into English what I had seen about creation um, the way that he did. And I thought, wow, now it's like, I, I just, it was amazing to me to hear somebody say something that I had not yet been able to articulate from my own experiences. And so it really helped me make a number of distinctions in my own capacity to um, to use manifestation in an intentional way. I, you know, outside of the book, I've I've gone and studied with other groups, and um, you know, the shamanic path with uh, Native Americans. That's been it's been really interesting, very useful, very helpful. Um, I've studied with Buddhists from time to time. Um, and, you know, there, there are a few different major cultural pathways I haven't had a chance to do studying with. Like, I haven't studied with um, many Muslims. I've, you know, I've read the Quran, but it's, it's one thing to read intellectually, and it's another to have the spiritual experience that, that is inside of a path. And, but I perceive or I intuit that many of these other religious pathways that I haven't had a chance to get to know do have something useful in them. It's just that for me, that path hasn't opened up yet because I've, I've found that it isn't so important to go and check all the boxes of like, okay, like spiritual tourism. I've, I've done this one and I've done that one and I've done all these other things. It's more about getting your heart to open. And if your heart opens in one path, then just stay in that path. Keep doing it. It's, it's, we know it's time to transition when the heart starts to shut down in that path. And that's basically like God inside of us saying, 
It's time to switch. It's time to do something new, or, or at least at the bare minimum to revitalize your current path. Because if your heart's not opening, you're not quite where you could be growing in the most optimum and joyful way. It just makes me think uh, a lot of the times, particularly with near-death experiences, there's usually a, a catalyst and a dramatic one at that, <laughs> right? Or an existential crisis. There's a, a death of a loved one. Those can be the catalysts for uh, exploring a spiritual reality. And then for some people, there is no catalyst. Sometimes it's just a simple curiosity even. But for many people, I find it's it's that shift that's needed because, like you said, the heart is closed and it needs to open because if the universe, if love is fundamental in the universe and our hearts are shut, then there's a problem. Well, it's this whole idea of heaven. We're, we're constantly waiting, whether we're talking about like a Christian heaven or, or like an enlightenment such as in Hinduism or Buddhism, <clears throat> um, there's this thought that when I get there, I'll be happy. <laughs> And that whole thought process stops us from being able to look into the present moment. It prevents us from being able to see that everything that we need to experience joy in a heavenly way is actually contained in this moment. But something that causes us to look at our lives, to re-examine and recognize that we don't want to wait for heaven down the road, that the day-to-day -day routine that we've been stuck in we don't want to do that anymore. We want to start living in a more conscious way, in a way that, that causes us to feel alive each and every day, that life is too precious to spend in an unconscious routine where we're going through the same old actions, the same old motions, the same old emotions, that feeling of, gosh, this is just drudgery and I don't want to get up in the morning and I, I just need my cup of coffee to get going again. And with <laughs> me, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to disparage coffee. I love coffee, but like, um, <laughs> just to say that the routine itself, the drudgery, that, that sometimes it does take something to snap us out of that stupor of thought, of that unconscious action, and to get us to start to live from a space of joy again. Our creations even though unconscious, they, they can't get better until we start waking up to the thought of something that could be better, until something snaps us out and says, what if there's more? It's that same thought that I was shown in heaven that makes heaven get better. But the trick is, is to learn to do that here on earth, is that we need to wake up from this thought process of this is all there is, that there's nothing more, and to start to plant the thought in our hearts that it can be better. Because to the extent that we start becoming aware of all of those anchors inside of us, those, those negative emotions that just keep holding us down and start understanding where they came from, start healing from them, start learning from them, then we plant new thoughts, new ideas, new feelings. And then the world starts to open up for us in an entirely new way. And it changes. And that change, it, it can be a little bit scary from the perspective of our ancestors and the traditions that we're carrying. But as we start to let go of the fear and start to have a little more trust and a little more surrender, it becomes a beautiful process because we see that we're being led into joy that none of our ancestors could have ever conceived of. 
And that is this process for us individually to, to come out of unconsciousness and also globally, collectively. It's what we're all doing together. And this, I assume, then is the path that led you to create the inner world movement. Yes, absolutely. Because at a certain point in time, you recognize that not only is it not fun to do it on your own, <laughs> it's not as effective that we as people, we are meant to do this in community. We're meant to bridge our differences. We're meant to understand each other. We're meant to explore our differences in ways that heal us, that lift us, and that create a better world for us. The inner world movement is a movement that you've started with a few friends of yours. That's correct. Tell me more about <laughs> that. How did that start and what is it all about? We each got discussing our respective journeys and just noticed that there seems to be a path that um, people waking up go through almost, I mean, just very consistently that at some point in time, an individual comes face to face with all of their traditions and everything, all the baggage they've received from society. And there is a moment of feeling incredibly alone. Of, of walking this path as if no one around you understands you or gets you or, and uh, a need to, to honor that internal truth. But having done that, that there was a point where associating with others became a really wonderful and beautiful thing that you no longer wanted to keep your story silent. You no longer wanted to live your truth in private in a closet. You wanted to be able to be abundantly open with all that was going on in your heart. You no longer wanted to live in a state of, of fear or judgment or shame. You wanted to be able to learn from all of your experiences, all experiences valuable. And so as we were having these conversations, um, something happened for me is because I've been sitting with these experiences I've had over the years um, for, for quite some time. You know, I wrote the first version of this book back like four years ago. I was just sitting on it because it didn't feel done. It felt like there was something missing, like the conclusion was missing. And it wasn't until coming together with these friends and having these conversations that I began to realize that um, I did not want to carry that burden alone anymore, that burden of enlightenment, that burden of um, working through the knot of emotions um, that are in this world. And it was, it was too heavy, one, and it was no fun. That I mean, I'm an introvert, and I know, Tanya, you mentioned to me earlier that you're an introvert, but there is something about community when it can be had in a way that is that is lifting, that is just beautiful. And it's this recognition that um, too many times in the past, this whole journey to salvation or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, um, it's been done individually. You've got one individual who figures it out and cuts themselves off from the world and they go live in a cave the rest of their lives or, or whatever. And that that's happened too often. And that we were at a juncture in, in the world's history when it's time for us to come together, when it's time for us to, to hold hands and say, this isn't a job for one person. This is a job for all of us to each look into our own hearts, to each understand what's there, to hear the truths that are written there and to start living them, to start being open with it. And so we decided to create a community of people where, where that can happen. And I don't want it to sound like this is the only community that's out there. I, I'm, I'm aware that there are many 
different communities that are being set up and different groups that are that are working on and related concepts. And the important thing for us was to start creating a space where our hearts expanded into finding those um, those friends and and honestly family that belong in that same space who want to feel those same emotions to to learn together and i mean to the extent that 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 is something that resonates with people who hear this wonderful we want to meet you um but if if not find the group of people that it that does cause your heart to expand but go and be with those people where your heart expands without effort where it opens where you can start feeling that divine love and I, I personally believe this is not only a, a beautiful thing for our joy, our individual joy, but that it it has a powerful, profound effect on the events that are taking place in the world around us. So you you say we. So who's part of the team that you're speaking about? So at this point, we've got Dana Parker, Natalia Yates, and Hannah Faust, and these three are are friends of mine. Um, I've known them for quite some time, but it was just it's that moment of bravery or courage when you come out and you start telling people around you and you're, you're thinking, gosh, there's going to be this judgment or they're not going to understand. And you start speaking from the heart and then you realize they're going through the exact same thing. <laughs> and they have been wanting just as badly as you to have these deep conversations and to be able to talk in a space that, um, that is completely free from judgment. It's like that heavenly space where you are given absolute permission to look into every thought, every feeling, every action without judgment, to look for that understanding, to heal from it, to grow from it and to find joy from it. And so that's really what we're talking about here is trying to take that heavenly feeling on the other side and bring it home. That's the whole idea of the book, bringing heaven home. So what can I find if I sign up on the website, innerworldmovement.com? What, uh, what are some things I can expect? Okay, so <laughs> a month ago, um, we had the website, and that was it, mm -hmm. and, and a sign-up sheet. Today, we've got a few podcast links up. Um, we've got some contact information um, for interacting with the team. So Dana right now is doing some life coaching, some interaction with people, we are hoping in the not so distant future to have some structure for events where we can start having social gatherings, interactions to, to really expand these ideas that we're talking about right now. That's very exciting. And I think it's what people need. We need open platforms and groups of people where we can speak our hearts and speak about these spiritual experiences in a non-judgmental way. I mean, that's why this podcast exists. It's just to have open conversations about these very real experiences that don't need to be shunned and don't need to be told that it's not real, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we need openness. And that's what inner world movement is providing. I think that's wonderful. That's the exact idea. And and on a personal note, I mean, you're talking about you providing this podcast in a, in a space to talk in a non-judgmental setting. I have to say that as an introvert, the idea of publishing my experiences was like the most terrifying thing that I could think of just to, to go out and to be so open with very private, very um, sacred to me experiences. 
And then to take that a step further and not just put it on, <laughs> put it on Amazon and forget about it, but to, to show up on a podcast, um, <clears throat> again, just this terrifying thought, but it has been so incredibly healing to sit with very respectful hosts such as yourself and to talk through these experiences, to express them openly, to be able to live what's on my inside on my outside as well. It has been so healing. And I hope that those who are listening to your podcast find the courage to hear what's truly in their hearts and to live that, whatever that looks like, that they are able to step out into the light of day to live as their authentic selves. Definitely. Uh, because, you know, the time is now. I mean, this is sort of the final frontier is following <laughs> and understanding that path of consciousness um, in every form that it presents itself. Because the interesting thing is that, for example, um, people talk about cultural uh, experiences with an NDE. So everybody from a different culture will have a slightly different um, experience and visions and understandings when it comes to their near-death experiences doesn't mean that the next person is going to have the same one. It is filtered through our beliefs. Nothing wrong. It just, that's how it is. However, it doesn't by any stretch mean that these experiences aren't enlightening and shifting and necessary uh, on an individual level, but then on a global level. Absolutely. Now, you have another book, though, that precedes Bringing Heaven Home. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I also wrote Faith to Produce Miracles, and I wrote that um, right after my third experience or shortly after my third experience. And the thought process was that I had, I had learned so many things that helped me evolve from a, a narrow perspective on Christianity to a much broader perspective on spirituality. And I wanted to, to write those things, to memorialize them in a book form, almost like a workbook for somebody who is coming out of a conservative background. Um, and, and this book in particular, there's, there's a lot of Christian references. There's a lot of um, biblical references and other types of, of discussion, but it's to kind of help go from the space of, I don't feel permission to feel love into, okay, I'm understanding what in my background has been restricting me and how, what, which parts of that are consistent with God's love and what part are inconsistent, helping, helping somebody step out and experiencing more of the divine in this moment. It sounds like at that point, you're still fleshing out the experiences that had been happening up to that point. Yes, yes. And right. so it's, it's a book designed to create awareness. It's like, it's like uh, if you could say mindfulness for somebody with a Christian background, um, and that's really what it is, is just talking about the importance of mindfulness and how that fits into uh, potentially a Christian faith. And so, so Faith to Produce Miracles, um, it's, it's not going to be for all of your listeners, but there may be some who really feel like, wow, that, that's a, um, it, it's a, a tool set that would help them with the background that they're in. Very good. Very helpful. Now, and can we find both of these books on Amazon, you said? They're both on Amazon.com. They're both on Amazon. 
paperback and Kindle format. Here in the next few weeks, we hope to have an audible version of Bringing Heaven Home. Excellent. I know a lot of people love those audiobooks, myself included. <laughs> That's wonderful. And also you have an Instagram account at Inner World Movement. Okay, Brent, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, we've covered a lot. And your experience is just, like I said, I mean, when I was reading the book, it just had a, quite an effect on me. And I was really grateful to have the different perspectives that you provided from a religious tradition as well, which is something that wasn't too familiar for me. But I learned a lot from it. And I loved the transition as well from expanded consciousness uh, with what you experienced. So thank you for the book. And I hope to see a lot of uh, growth with your project. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's been delightful to talk to you today. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Dr. Brent Satterfield. For more on Brent and to purchase his books, please visit innerworldmovement.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And make sure to join me next time to continue this conversation about life continuing.